Namo tassa bhagavato harahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato harahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato harahato sama sambuddhasa Homage to the Buddha, the blessed, noble, and fully self-enlightened one. Uh, just tackling the problem of identity, uh, which is sort of core to the Buddha's understanding of our problem, identity. And um, perhaps to just understand how we create ourselves continuously. Um, the Buddha dissects the human experience both in the present moment and as a flow, as a, something that happens over time. And in the dissection in the present moment, like a cross-section, uh, he splits us up into five parts that he calls aggregates because they're just uh, heaps, they're just a um, collection of the same things. So the first one is all, all our physicality. Uh, the physicality is you know, just the body itself in its uh, gross material form, uh, but it also means how we actually experience the body uh, at that very basic level that many of you will will have experienced when, for instance, you go into a pain and what you're actually feeling in it is, is tension or, or heat or something like that, see? So that's the point where the body and mind meet, see, body and mind. So these are two distinct things in Buddhism. Uh, the next one is feeling, see? So feelings, uh, the distinction between feelings and ordinary sensations is the definition we put on them. So a feeling is, is, is perceived as either pleasant or unpleasant, you see, or neutral. But if you, if you ever get close to a neutral sensation, really go into it, you'll find that it divides into something slightly pleasant or slightly unpleasant. Because that's the sort of basic duality within which we live. The world is either experiencing something pleasant or unpleasant. Can't do anything about that. Just the way it is. Then there's a whole section of perceptions. So perceptions are a mental image of what it is that we're experiencing. Uh, and, it, and it produces our memory. And the perceptions are not, uh, I mean, normally speaking, they're talked of as very basic things like the color and shape of something or the, just the basic aroma of something, you know. But <clears throat> that process of sanya, as some of you know, is actually, um, builds up on itself into the higher concept. So a concept is another perception, another way of perceiving the world. They sort of tumble on each other until they become more and more complex through our thought system. So these are all uh, separate from feeling. They're mental things. They are <coughs> either images or this very fine energy that we call thought. Yeah? Reason, logic, whatever you want to call it. The intellect. Then there's this whole business of Sankara. Now, uh, the reason why he's partitioned all these is really to point us to this business of Sankara. So, the thing about Sankara, uh, 
sometimes translated as uh, volitional formations. It never makes sense to me that. But the, the, the real point of it is that this is where the will is. Hmm? This is where we actually create. The others are given as a human being. We have a body. It offers sensations. <coughs> it offers feelings. We perceive them in such and such a way. Uh, but this whole business of Sankara, volitional formations, um, includes all our, what we would recognize as our emotional thought life. It's that whole business of uh, the creation that we can that we can manufacture within ourselves through our thought. Mm? I mean, in its highest extent, it would be things like, you know, philosophy and art. But it's ordinary, the ordinary sillinesses that come up in the mind is also part of that complex. See, and that's a heap. But the important thing about this heap is will. See, will. Come back to that, if I remember. Then the next bit is consciousness. Now, this consciousness is a problem because. Uh, the English words don't uh, find it very difficult to describe this. Uh, it's, an, it's the act of cognition where all these other factors come together to form a picture. So the only way I can think, the only example would be, say, a, a computer screen or a television screen where a lot of things are coming up from behind of which we are not conscious and suddenly appear on a screen as an act of seeing an act of you might call it uh, computer consciousness see an act of cognition and there's a there's a an understanding involved in it there's, a, there's an internal understanding it has an internal logic so when you um, when you uh, say are watching something on television or, or doing something on a screen it's presenting you with an already uh, manufactured picture which makes sense in itself yeah do you know what I mean cognition uh, the problem arises um, when we try to understand what uh, the Buddha meant by uh, this satipanya see so in the main discourse where he's really putting forward this this process of uh, how we become liberated um, it's called the Satipatthana discourse discourse on how to establish this right awareness right awareness uh, you know like a robber has awareness but it's not quite right you know it's not it doesn't have what you might call an ethical juice or the wrong ethical juice and uh, this by, by the way this discourse is not delivered to monastics, it's not delivered to people who sit under trees meditating. This is delivered to the Kurus of Kuru Sadhamma. And Kuru Sadhamma is very, was very close to modern day Delhi. He travelled quite a bit, you know, I mean hundreds of miles. And he'd been there, given his teachings, and when he revisited, he was quite taken by the fact that people were following his teachings. See? I myself also find myself amazed when people. <laughs> <laughs> So he gave them this, this talk to the Kurus, right? This is a talk that he gave. This is the jewel of the collection, right? This is the jewel of the collection. He gave this to lay people, right? And that's really worth remembering because in, in the Buddhist scene, one thinks that, uh, you know, uh, monastics have the better of it. I mean, after all, they, you know, they don't have to work and they just hang about doing nothing, getting enlightened. See? Well, <laughs> some of them do. <laughs> 
But in fact, the Buddha is quite clear that um, you know, emotional life, you see, uh, that also leads us into always trying to manipulate the world so that we can re-establish that same happiness, same emotional happiness. So on a more gentle note, you know, seeking happiness in nature, see. So one, one goes out, one is at one with nature. What does that at oneness mean? When, when people say, I felt at one with nature. See, what happened? You see? Now, remember that the world out there um, is not what we're experiencing. Yeah? We're experiencing only what our senses can give us. When I look at a tree, I can only see the tree as my eyes allow me to see the tree. Yeah? I can only feel the wind on my skin as my skin will allow me to feel the wind. I can never know the tree in itself or how other people see the tree. They can tell me, but I can't see it. Yeah? I, uh, people can tell me how they feel the wind. Uh, I can only do it by analogy because I feel the wind. Yeah? So getting lost, when somebody has a oneness in nature, what they're actually saying is for one moment they're absorbed into the perception of, of nature that they're creating. Yeah, it comes as a mystical experience to some because they've never been at one with anything. They've always <laughs> they've always been at two. There's always been me and something else. And just for one moment, uh, they're out in this beautiful place, suffused with the joy that nature can bring. You know that sense of beauty and aesthetics, a beautiful valley or something like that. And just for one minute, the giving, the the, the loss of a self, the absorption into that experience. See. <coughs> and in a sense, of course, it is a, it is a, a mystical experience if you, if you uh, oppose it to ordinary daily life, where there's always a me doing something, there's always a me experiencing something. Hmm? So now, uh, going back to that uh, Satipanya, you see, <coughs> this, this awareness with intuitive intelligence. So now, what is it that can pull itself out of these five aggregates? What is it that can make the five aggregates an object to be observed, to be felt, to be understood? See? So obviously that's, that's, something, that's something that cannot be within the five aggregates itself. Because the five aggregates, these, all these qualities that we've talked about, sensations, feelings, perceptions, acts of cognition, are all very much uh, dependent on each other. And yet here we are within ourselves observing this stuff. And that's what we're doing with Meditate. We're pulling ourselves out of that process and, and we're actually seeing these things arising and passing away within this field of awareness. See? Now although the Buddha uses these two words, Sati and Panya, uh, really they're the, same, they're the two qualities of the very same faculty that we have. You see? So uh, it's put it, we, we understand it if we say you look and then you see. So first of all, y y you, uh, something rustles or, or you see something passing, uh, a bird of some sort. First you look and then you see what it is, a woodpecker, you see. But without seeing, there's no, without looking, there's no seeing. So in, in our practice, we're pulling ourselves out to uh, this objective position within ourselves feeling, seeing, looking, observing, experiencing, you see. And it's in, it's in keeping that eye, keeping that inner eye still, the gaze, you see, and allowing the, the seeing to come. Hmm? And 
what we discover is that this is this is not within our control see so here we have these uh, this body uh, with its sensations feelings and all that which have become objects see as soon as they become an object then obviously it can't be me so you've you've disidentified with it you see that's the process of disidentifying with it and one of the things that you notice when you disidentify is that they carry on without you yeah feelings carry on whether you want them or not huh? it, uh, thoughts flash in the mind and take you away whether you want them or not see so that lack of control is also telling us that whatever it is whatever this psychophysical organism is it's not me right scary stuff by the way so then <laughs> so then uh, we have this uh, satipanya, right? Which is observing, which is observing these these things happening. You see, and normally our position is still with a sense of self, the observer. So, what we've done is we relocated this identity. So, from a baby-like, I complete identity with the body, we identify with emotions. You know, I feel upset. You see. I am upset, see, I am, I am depressed. So as soon as we say that, of course, you are. Huh? As soon as you say, <laughs> you say, I am depressed, that's it, you're stuck, you're imprisoned. But as soon as, you, as soon as you make the feelings of depression something objective, see, it's still not pleasant, but at least you're not that. So you've found some other different location for this sense of self. Same with thought, when you're thinking, uh, ten more often than not we're lost in it I you know I think therefore I am I'm not so sure he meant that by the way but even so so then you you put you pull yourself out of that and you find yourself relocated into this position of the observer the objective observer but there's still the sense of self see? so all the time just in this process of of insight meditation you're, you're rediscovering a different center a different place where where you get this sense of me see and in that process you know afterwards after you've done it at the end of a sitting you see just ask yourself what's it like being the observer i mean is that a is that a better place than being an, an emotional self is that a better place than being a thought a thought self yeah i mean it's all right when the body mind and heart are working in perfect harmony and are and are you know jumping high in joy peace and all that sort of stuff uh, but that only happens occasionally so but this place the observer see after you've come out of it you just reflect upon it what's it like being in that location see now where then does that sense of self arise when I'm in the position of the observer you see so again going back to that screen see going back to that uh, television screen or, or computer screen sometimes when you're watching uh, you can see yourself can't you in the screen <coughs> see yourself watching TV yeah if the lights right yeah. yeah so that's it that's the self the sense of self is coming from a feeling of that sati that awareness that intuitive awareness within the mind see it's both a feeling a feeling of a self and a perception of a self there's always those two in Buddhist psychology they always arise together feeling and perception you can't have one without the other hmm? see now here's the interesting thing how can we how can we pull ourselves out of that see? we've been able to objectify 
our bodies, our sensations. We've been able to objectify our emotions. Huh? We've been able to see images in the mind. See, if you, I mean, it's difficult to see a thought, but you can. You have to just be a bit more concentrated, that's all. Uh, you see a thought coming up. You see, we've been able to pull ourselves out of that. But if you try and pull yourself out of this more subtle self, you just create another self trying to pull yourself out of this self. See, it becomes a sort of double take. It's a never-ending loop, you see. So how do we get out of that, you see? So again, it's always this, always this teaching about trying not to achieve anything, you see. And when you're in a very good state of very clear meditation, when the body is absolutely still, uh, when the heart's calm, when the mind is not thinking, you know, very still, and there's only the breath, you see, uh, once in a blue moon, when you're, when you're there like that, you see, really uh, turn your attention on this feeling of a self for no other reason than to observe it, right? As soon as you try and get rid of it, you're in conflict, okay? So just observe that feeling because that's also being created. Now, that's why the Buddha says those who are aware are in the presence of Nibbana. When you're in that state, you're very close to the experience of Nibbana. So what is, uh, you know, how can we, uh, what are the qualities of this Nibbana experience? So in early Buddhism, I mean, the way the Buddha himself taught it, he taught it more from an experience point of view. How, what is the experience of Nibbana? And, you know, he's, he's very clear about it. Um, he's very clear about uh, as to what it isn't, right? Uh, he talked about it as that which is not born, does not die, is not created, not compounded, not conditioned. That's pretty straightforward, see? So it's not one of them. <laughs> but then he talks more positively, and he talks about it as an ayatana. Now, this word ayatana he uses as a sphere of experience. So we have six of these spheres of experience, and they're dependent on the senses. So. And, and they are, each of them, um, unique, uh, discrete unto themselves. So the eye can only see, it can't hear. It's another, it's another ayatana, it's another sphere of, it, of experience. And the sixth one is the mind itself. Then he says that there is this ayatana, there is this sphere of experience where there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no coming, no going, etc. You've got a whole list of things, but it's not there. But there's definitely this sphere of experience. See? And then finally, in one of the, it comes up twice in the scriptures, uh, he's quite clear that it is a consciousness. See, because he uses the same word that he uses for these other experiences of, of just being a worldly, you know, being aware in the world. And he, he's very clear again, he says, there is a consciousness which is not coloured by any of the senses. And remember, the mind is also a sense in Buddhism. And it has no boundary. Only, only phenomena create boundary. You know, walls create boundaries. No boundary, and in all directions, full of light. See, so uh, or awakenedness, yeah, full of light. So it's not as though see. There's there's often um, how can we say a very negative um, interpretation put onto his teaching, and this nibbana becomes more and more um, distant, more and more impossible to sort of grasp. But when you actually pick out these little phrases from the scriptures, it's very, it's very concrete. You know, there is 
a real experience of something within us which does not belong to this level of existence See? and once that is attained even if it's only a glimpse there's a whole revolution in the way that we relate to the world because something has been deeply undercut and that is identity you see the whole the whole point of an ibanic experience is that is that there is that inner knowledge that one is not what one appears to be and with that of course there's an ease of letting go okay so we talked this morning about seeing impermanence is to be able to let go of things so you, you don't get caught up in things, you don't hold on to anything okay? and because there isn't this identity with the world there's not a seeking of happiness in it see so we're not we we, we stop investing in it as a place for happiness because we found a deeper happiness now does that mean that there are no more joys and no more pleasures in the world far from it they still remain but our relationship to them is radically changed right because we found this there's a deep happiness even if we can't even if at first we can't attain that you see at least uh, we know it's there you know if it's not there just like uh, as a fully liberated person uh, would be able to would always be in that state see and the uh, the point of this is to understand that that's what we're developing through meditation when we talk about awareness that's what we're actually developing all the time and as it develops there's an ease with the way things are see, that's the point so it's not as though things have to get better they can get worse but there's an ease with it <laughs> you know financial collapse there's a sort of it it doesn't mean that you don't do anything about it i will come to that in a minute but there's there's not this there's not this uh, tremendous fear that arises see fears undercut so we always remember that our fears are the measure of our uh, identity and remember that this is all relocated in different areas of our lives I mean Freud understood that well so that all fear is actually the fear of death eh? it's the fear of ending it's the fear of losing see So now, on the positive side, see, having now sort of brought ourselves out of this enmeshment, this bewilderment as it's called, bewitchment with the world, you see, there's now a re-engagement, that's important. So at the end of every practice, there's always the metta. And what the metta does, what the practice of uh, loving kindness does, it, it forms a different relationship with the world, not one based on me, not one based on uh, selfishness definitely self-care not to confuse selfishness with self-care but a, a whole relationship change you see so there's um, an engagement in the world and this is um, uh, this is best um, mirrored in the actions of the Buddha himself so once he once he understood what you know he done he got his immediate thought was to teach it to somebody to pass it on to somebody else that's the compassion you see that's the that's that immediate movement of the buddha within to the buddhas that is within all of us see and although he has this doubt that's put uh, mythologically as a great god appears to him and says that there's only encourages him to teach see because uh, some people have only a little bit of dust in their eyes but that's a doubt that he he probably had when he thought well you know would anybody actually understand this and it's interesting that he first tries to go to his 
his early teachers and of course they, they've died, they've passed on and eventually he goes to his old five companions and the one interesting thing when he meets his companions and he talks to them about this new understanding is that he has this little phrase keeps coming up with have you ever heard me speak like this before? See? have you ever heard me speak like this before? and slowly but surely he gains that confidence in, in passing on his message See? so it's the same with us the more we meditate, the more the purification, the more the insight, it comes out just in our very actions, just in the very way that we are. Whether we like it or not, we become teachers. See? We become exemplars. You should be very ashamed if you get drunk. <laughs> you should put yourself in jail for three days. So, <laughs> so well, you see, if you say, well, I meditate, and then they find you on the, on the streets, you know, half palatic, they think, well, what's the, you know, what's the point? <laughs> so, uh, in a sense, it also, we have to bear the burden of our, of, our, of our responsibility. Now, uh, just to explain, I don't know how we're doing with time, so... <clears throat> no, we're all right. So now, just to explain, uh, try to understand this process of rebirth. So the process of rebirth is happening right here and now. Once we understand that, then the idea of it may be happening after death becomes at least more acceptable. It's not necessary to believe in any of this in order to become fully liberated hmm? uh, for the, the actual Dharma to work because uh, the teaching is immediate. It either, it either works now or it doesn't work. It's not something that you're preparing for the future. The meditation either works now, the practice works now, or it doesn't work at all. See? Now... If we go back to an original position that the Buddha states of our conditioning, it's this, it's this not knowing. Right? It's a word that begins the um, process of dependent origination, which is, the, which is describing the person in flow, in action. Okay? Uh, and there's not enough time to go into that uh, uh, too deeply. But this business of not knowing, see, what is it that doesn't know? So it is this satipanya, it doesn't know. And it arrives in this, in this form at birth, it arrives there in this form. So it's no wonder that it should then presume itself to be what it, ex what it is experiencing. See? So that immediate uh, identity with the physical form is, is natural to that consciousness for want of a better word, to that satipanya, they don't like to use the word consciousness, to the awareness, to that intuitive awareness, that's better. Or, or better still, the knowing. See, you, you'll find that in the literature too. And that's a very clever way of talking about it because uh, being a sort of verbal form, it, it gives the impression of it not being stuck, substantial, a thing. It's a process, a knowing, you see. So this knowing finds itself within this physical frame at a birth point and just presumes this is what I am see now as soon as it's done that it's seeking happiness within this form and in seeking happiness within this form it it, it creates two attitudes the first attitude is acquisitiveness because the more you can have a good thing the happier you are huh? and the other one is the opposite anybody who gets in the way must be hated and destroyed annihilated must be a completely get out of the way <laughs> So you've got your you've got your division immediately upon that upon that wrong identity, 
one of acquisition which leads to greed and robbing and all that sort of stuff and one which is getting rid of what is getting in the way which leads to murder and if it's too big it leads the other way see to fear despair suicide so either it immediately leads us into a position of conflict with the world you see but because uh, generally speaking most people find a sort of modicum of living you know which is so we say at least fairly comfortable I think I'm only talking about Westerners uh, that uh, <laughs> that uh, we don't we presume this is the way this is the way it should be this is the way it is so Freud if you remember came to the conclusion that there's there's no way you can get rid of unhappiness you just get this you just get to this point where you're not utterly completely neurotic and you <laughs> and you sort of have a, a general feeling of, of well-being so <clears throat> this um, that uh, that that not knowing you see and because it's an original not knowing because it's a, an original state of uh, um, not knowing see something you, you'll you'll see it translated as ignorance which gives it the feel of culpability you know you should have known better but it's not it's just simply don't know see it's like when we have a real accident see thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and dharma seed please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate